We are going back into a series we were doing last year, if you were here, called The Way. And last year we were going through the Sermon on the Mount over the year, kind of breaking it up into sections um, and trying to tackle. We started at Matthew 4 and trying to work through to Matthew 7. So um, we're going to restart that next week, looking at Matthew 7 and kind of finish that series. This like, is the next chunk. But this today is just like a little bit of a detour. Like you notice we're not in Matthew, we're in Luke. Um, we're not in the Sermon on the Mount. But I, but I sort of thought this could be a good message just to kind of reframe and reposition us to then look at the rest of what Jesus says in, in the Sermon on the Mount in the next few weeks. And I've called this the reality of the kingdom. And I'm kind of talking about this idea that, that Jesus is, when he's talking, he's not just talking, this is not just about our personal faith or our kind of um, just our beliefs. But when Jesus is talking about the kingdom, he's talking about true reality which is why he can sometimes be saying some pretty strong things that seem kind of confusing, like we just heard. I don't know if you've heard that Bible passage before. You might have. And it's pretty confronting. It's, it's, it can be even potentially a bit confusing. So what I want to do today is, is have a look at that, um, particularly just the first section of it, and, and have a look at what, why is Jesus saying that? Why is Jesus speaking so strongly? And, and what can we really pull out of that, particularly around this idea of the reality of the kingdom? What we're going to do is, is similar to the rest of the Way series. We're not really starting with a, with a problem or an issue. We're just starting with what Jesus wants to talk about and, and what Jesus wants to say. And then we're just going to, we're following him. So he sort of sets what, what the topic is. And rather than sort of we start with our own problems and come to him, we're starting with him. And, and it's interesting, right? This is, he, he's on his way to Jerusalem. There's all these crowds following him. There's, he's got all this attention, and then he turns around and says this. Like, if, if anyone wants to follow me, you, you must hate your, your father, your mother, like your family. Like, and if you haven't heard that before, when he, he's not meaning emotional hate. He's not meaning that you must hate them, because we know that the Bible commands us to love and, and not to hate. This, this language is, it means it's to do with allegiance. It's the idea of our, our love for him must be so much that we'd be willing to let go of family, let go of self if required. But we're going to look at that a bit more soon. But it's interesting, right? Jesus is just up front. He's not like other, some other people, I guess, in, in our society, in our world. I, I hope no one works at one of those places. But you know when you go to the shops and there's the people who are sort of in the middle when you're walking past in the aisle and they want your attention for something and they're not up front. <laughs> they say, I just want to ask you one question. And you know, though, if you answer that one question, they're going to want to ask you like two or three more questions and they get your credit card details. Like, like they're, it's not, they're not up front at all. Like if they just were up front, it would be a lot easier. But Jesus is incredibly up front. Like even almost deliberately exaggerating almost. To, he's trying to make a point to the crowds. All these people are following him. They've seen that he has the power to heal. They've got food from him. They, they think that he's coming to rescue them from the Romans. They've got all these ideas about what Jesus is like and what it's going to mean to follow him, and they're so excited. And there's, there's all different types of people in the crowd. And Jesus is not like, yeah, just come on and it'll be great. But, uh, but, it's, but there might be all these straight up front that he wants people to know what it means to live in his kingdom and what is required. And, and he is just being honest and upfront at the start. And he's almost trying to vet people so that people really know what they're in. He doesn't want people, he doesn't want to just get people in and then later on they find out the truth. He wants them to know the truth and to count the cost up front. So we're going to go through and, and sort of look at what this means and how this can be really helpful. So this is what we, Robin just read out. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus. He turned to them and said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate 
father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. And again, this is not emotional hate. This is to do with allegiance. This is to do with priority. Like if anyone comes to me and is not willing to, if it's required, let go of their family, let go of their their children, their brothers, and potentially even lose their life or let go of their deepest held beliefs and ideas and self-desires, and if they're not willing to potentially even suffer, then you cannot follow me, is what he's saying. He's being incredibly upfront. The message makes it a bit simpler to understand with that hate word. He says in this, anyone who comes to me but refuses to let go of father, mother, spouse, children, brothers and sisters, yes, even one's own self can't be my disciple. It's this idea of Jesus is saying, if you want to follow me, there must be this priority of allegiance to me before family and even before self. I want to just pull out those two ideas for a little bit. I based a fair bit of this on a message by Tim Mackey. He's a Bible teacher in, in Portland. And he talks about Jesus basically highlights two of potentially the main cultural idols of different cultures in the world. And the first is family. Again, family is a, is a good thing, a gift of God. But more traditional cultures, and particularly the culture of Jesus' day, like family is everything. Like family is your group is your identity, is your sense of safety and meaning. And, and to go against family and just sort of go out on your own, it's just not really within that worldview. That doesn't make sense. Like that's just not something that you do in, in, in those cultures. And again, so Jesus saying this is really cutting against traditional cultures. Like to, to say to these people, you're going to need to let go of your family, of your children, of your spouse, and, and follow me. Like that, that seems... Like it doesn't make any sense at all. That, that, that in sort of traditional cultures, that can be a really big deal. But as well, just in all cultures, family is something that's in, incredibly important. The people that we hold dearest to us. And maybe, maybe we don't, even if it's not biological family, even if it's sometimes our friends, we might call them family. But family is this representation of, of people that we hold really dear and close and we value but so often can find our sense of identity and safety and security in them. And Jesus names this and says that 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 actually has to be let go of. As well, though, it's not just the family, but it's interesting that that that's like a one, probably more in traditional cultures, one of the key idols. But in more modern or Western cultures, the key idol really is ourself. This is probably particularly true um, in Australia, just kind of in our public like society or culture, that that to to for someone to leave their family and go off on their own and do their own thing, that that makes sense. Like that's perfectly fine. The thing that we are encouraged to do all the time is be true to yourself, discover yourself, be who you are, just be yourself. And life is really portrayed as the pursuit of our own desires and dreams to make the best life, to, that we can have the most pleasure and be the best that we can be. And that, that, that is ultimately what life is about, that we are the centre. And family is good and we still value family, but even family is kind of uh, through the lens of self often rather than self through the lens of family. And it's, it's interesting that Jesus highlights this and actually says, no, that this is an idol. And actually to follow me, you have to let go of that but again, culturally, like in our culture, that makes no sense. Like, why would we 
let go of our autonomy, our authority, and unquestioningly trust a guy who lived 2,000 years, like that doesn't make any sense. Like, like the, in our culture, the, in, in Australia, it's that you treat everyone else with suspicion and you trust yourself. You don't rely on authority. You are the authority. So to, to go against that, Jesus is cutting against that cultural idol as well. And what he's really doing is he's saying that we kind of, are, these people are trying to follow him or saying they want to follow him but there's these sort of worldviews or values or things they're holding on to. And the temptation is to sort of say, well, we, we really value family or we really value ourselves." And we see that Jesus is really good and Jesus has some really good things. But we want to take Jesus and we want to use him to help us have a good family. We want him to help us keep the, the group and the tribe secure. Well, we see that Jesus is, is great and that Jesus can actually help me fulfill my dreams that actually following him, he can help, he can give me a sense of meaning, he can give me a sense of purpose. But it's actually taking Jesus and trying to adopt him into the current cultural worldview, whatever that is. It's taking him and fitting him to us. And Jesus is really upfront to start with. And he's saying, if you want to follow me, you can't do that. It won't work. What he's saying is if Jesus is who he says he is, then he cannot be assimilated into our lifestyle and worldview. But we are to shape our whole life around him, including our most deeply held beliefs. He's, he's saying it doesn't work. Like, like if, and and it, doesn't, it doesn't make sense. If he is who he says he is, if he is the son of God, if he is the true king, then he cannot be adopted into a system where something else has the highest authority whether that's family or into our life, but we still claim the highest authority. If he is who he is, then he must have the highest authority. He must be the one that's trusted and followed and everything else is let go of. Leslie Newbigin puts it like this. He's got a great book and he particularly is sort of diagnosing Western culture and and the, the worldview that we have, and, and often it's not presented as a worldview, it's kind of just presented as everybody knows this. Everybody knows that we used to believe in gods and spirits and stuff like that, but now we know that science is the way to knowledge, and the only things you can really know are through scientific reasoning. And if people want to have faith, that's just their personal belief, that's just their personal ideas, and that's not in the realm of knowledge. Facts are from science, beliefs are just personal. But, but that's actually a worldview. It's actually a faith position. And Leslie Newbing, he has this, this great book that diagnoses this, but, but says that we, that's, that's what we're trained to think often. But the truth is that Jesus is claiming not to be a personal belief or an idea, but to be a fact, but to be true reality, but to be knowledge. This is, this is how he puts it. At the heart of the Christian message was a new fact. God had acted. And let us remember that the original meaning of fact in the Latin factum, something done, something happened. It's not just a personal faith. It's actually a response to a reality that Jesus came into history, that Jesus rose from the dead. God was acting in Jesus, a real thing. God acted in a way that if believed, must henceforth determine all our ways of thinking. It could not merely fit into existing ways of understanding the world without fundamentally changing them. If Jesus is who he says he is, then everything he says is true. He is the definition of truth. 
we can't sit back and say, well, we don't think that's true, Jesus. From our, that's our place of authority. If he is who he says, we have to leave those other places and come under him and trust him completely. This is, this is kind of his point. And I think that is what Jesus is, is really calling them to and being upfront about, that that's just the reality. That the reality of his kingdom is that there's no other way to follow him than to submit to him as the highest authority. So what I want to do is just pull through some three points of, of trying to understand this passage in a, in, a, in, a, in a bit of a deeper way and understanding what I think Jesus is really doing here. The first thing I think he's doing is if we say that the kingdom is true reality, that Jesus is truly the king, and he's talking about the kingdom of heaven coming on earth, he's inviting people into that. If that's true, then I think Jesus is really naming that reality when he's saying that you have to be, be willing or to let go of family and let go of self if you want to follow me. Because often we kind of might read this in a different way. We might read it as Jesus is saying, like he's sort of sitting back and he's saying, unless you show that you, you, you're not interested in your family, you're not interested in yourself, unless you show that you're, you're really worthy, I'm not going to let you follow me. Like as in we have to kind of pass the test to be a disciple. But I don't think that's, that's what he's doing. That, that's kind of like sitting back and we've got to get an act together and show that we can do it. That, that's not what he's saying. He's saying the reality is if you want to follow me, this is what it looks like. He's more like a guide who's, who's experienced trekking through mountains and he's taking us on a really difficult trek, a, a, like incredibly dangerous trek. And this, this guide could rightly say to us, hey, I've been this way before. It's going to be really hard and really dangerous. And unless you let go of your bags and leave them behind, unless you fully trust me and listen to everything I say, we are not going to make it. Like you, 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 I know the way and I just know that the only way to go is you have to let go of those things. You have to trust me. You have to follow me. You have to do everything. I said, there's going to be times when you think you know which step to take and which way to go, but you're just going to have to trust me. Otherwise, we're not going to make it. Like that, that's, that's more like the way... That, that this is. It's, it's just the reality that in this, in this journey that we're called to, it, that it will not work without letting go of other things and holding only to him. He's, it's not like a standard. It's, it's more like a reality. Dallas Willow puts this in a kind of funny way, comparing a, a different analogy to the idea of just ability. It's almost like an ability thing. He, he used the, 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 the analogy of mathematics. He says this, it's like the math teacher in high school saying, to a student, he goes, he's strong with the King James here. Verily, verily, I say to you, unless, except thou canst do decimals and fractions, thou canst in no ways do algebra. Like it's not, it's not like, he's, and then he keeps going. He says, it's not that the teacher will not allow you to do algebra because you're a bad person. You just won't be able to do basic algebra if you're not in command of decimals and fractions. This is in fact what Jesus is saying. You won't be able to follow me. You won't be able to be my disciple if you're holding on to the, your own worldview or the values or the idols or the things of your own heart, you won't be able to be my disciple is more what he's saying. That's what is required is to let go and to let him take the first place. If we can't do that, we won't be able to follow. So I think what he's firstly doing is just naming that reality. Secondly, he's putting good things in their right place. So this, again, is not at all saying that family is bad. This is not at all saying that self 
is bad. Like we could read this and say Jesus says to hate your family. Like, like it, it's not saying that. Like, like multiple times husbands are encouraged to love their wives, to, parents to love children, to honour parents. Like, like repeatedly, this is about allegiance. And, and it's, it's, what it says is, is saying that family is a good gift from God. And ourselves, our lives, even our dreams and desires are a good gift from God. But if they become primary, that's not good. Like if, like if God has given a gift, but then we put the gift in the place of God, then things are not good. Like, like that, that is, that, that's, that's the definition of idolatry, really. It's, it's, it's God is God, and he gives these good things. But if we hold on to them, or in this situation, people wanting to follow Jesus wouldn't, but don't want to let go of family, that, that it's out of the right position. It's out of the right place. And more than that, that it's, it's, it's looking for in, in family or self, or it could be that any other idol, it's looking to it for security, safety, meaning, purpose, identity, which can only be found in him. If he's the creator, if he's given us life and these good things, those things can only be found in him. So these good things can be enjoyed in him, but they have to have their right place. Otherwise, it won't work. We won't find the security that we desire. If we put it in family, it's so fragile. Things can go wrong. If we put it in ourselves, we just disconnect from anybody else and get disillusioned when it doesn't work. This is what Tim Keller says about this idea. If we look to some created thing to give us meaning, hope, and happiness that only God himself can give, it will eventually fail to deliver and break our hearts. This is not Jesus being mean and saying, if you want to follow me, you just can't have family. Like, it's that he knows that if we hold to family before him, it will break our hearts. He knows that if we hold to ourselves before him, we, we will be disconnected from him and disillusioned and we will not find the, the self-fulfillment and desires that are promised. Like, it's, it's not true. Like, it, it, this is actually a loving um, naming of reality and putting these good things in their right place. And again, this is obviously not saying that, that everybody is commanded to leave their family. Like, there's multiple examples in the Bible where people are not commanded to leave family. The issue is the issue of the heart, that, that God is first, and that we would be willing to let go of our family if God required it. That we'd be willing to let go and deny of ourselves if God required it. That ultimately, He is the ultimate authority. That, that these things are not before Him, but second to Him. So I think He's putting these good things in their right place. And lastly, it might not seem like it, but I think He's actually showing us the way to true joy. When Jesus is calling the crowds to count the cost, and again, I guess the writer of Luke, and as Luke, the writer of this gospel, and as we're reading it, he, he, he's calling us to count the cost of following Jesus, being upfront. But at the same time, I think he's showing us the way to true joy. Because if you, if you count the cost and decide that it's worth it, then there's amazing joy. We see this in some other parables of Jesus that talked about the kingdom. He said this, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and brought that field. Like this, this man gets rid of everything he has to find this field. Like, like that's a cost. But he's not thinking about the cost. He's thinking about the treasure and the fact that it's worth it. So he's full of joy. 
Again here, the, the, the parable of the pearl, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. He's not thinking about the cost. In a similar way, um, uh, like a, a man who's engaged on his wedding day, coming to, to, to get married, like he's counting a cost. Like he, he is letting go of all other romantic relationships for the rest of his life and devoting his life to this one woman. But we don't go to weddings like depressed, like, oh, it's so sad. Like he's letting go of everybody for this one person. Like, like it's a time of joy because it's worth it. He's, there's a cost, but it's worth it. So it's actually joy. This is how Dallas Willow again puts it. This is a bit long, but I, but I think it's worth reading through. He says, what this passage in Luke is about is clarity. It is not about misery or about some incredibly difficult price that one must pay to be Jesus' apprentice. There is no such thing as a dreadful price for the pearl in question. Suffering for him is actually something we rejoice to be counted worthy of. And we see this in the New Testament. The disciples are beaten and they, they rejoice. The point is simply that unless we clearly see the superiority of what we receive as his students over every other thing that might be valued, we cannot succeed in our discipleship to him. And that's, that's the thing. Jesus wants the crowd to count the cost. But if we count it and realize that he's worth it, there's great joy. But if you sort of are following him, but you haven't, you haven't counted it, and you don't know if he's worth it, and you're still holding on to other things, there's not going to be joy. There's just going to be frustration and, and, and anxiety. But actually to, to realize that he's worth it is actually the path of joy. To realize, actually, we don't have to fit Jesus into our worldview of our culture, whether that's more traditional or whether that's this sort of Western worldview that sort of puts us at the center. We don't have to fit Jesus into that. The call is actually to let go of that and to trust him and to rest in him. And that, and that actually we find joy and we find delight in family and in the way that he's made us. And he gives these things back to us in a new way, but our hearts are trusting and resting in, in him. So I think we've said what, what Jesus is doing, he's naming this reality, the reality of the kingdom and what, it, what is required to be able to follow him. He's putting good things in their right place, that he is the highest authority, that he is God and created things as secondary. And he's actually showing us the way to true joy. That actually when we realize that who he is and that he's worth it, we also realize that if our security and hope and identity and meaning and purpose are in Jesus, then if we lose family or if we suffer or even lose our own lives, we don't lose our treasure. Like we don't lose the thing that's actually the ultimate thing that all our hope and joy is in. There's actually like a stability and a steadfastness through anything. And he knows this. He's, he's calling us to this place of clarity and realizing that he's superior, that he is worth it. So we're saying it is, if Jesus is who he says he is, then he cannot be assimilated into our lifestyle and worldview. We're to shape our whole life around him, including our most deeply held beliefs. And some of these beliefs might be deeply held, um, but 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 continually going on this journey of, of letting him be the center and defining everything through him, not looking through like the lens that we've just grown up with, but using him almost as a lens to look through everything and see everything the way that he sees it. 
So as we kind of come to, to sort of finish this morning, there's a, there's a few sort of ways to respond, maybe. And may, maybe this is kind of all new, and, and you've kind of never really thought about this and kind of didn't really know that Jesus said some, some challenging things like this. And maybe you've never actually really made that decision that actually I, I want to be Jesus' disciple. I want to follow Jesus. Like I, I believe who he is. And that I can see that requires actually giving my whole life and trusting to him. And maybe that's a decision to, to think through today or, or this week or to pray through or to read, read the stories of Jesus' life in the gospel and, and to come to a point where we say, actually, Jesus, I let go of these other things and I trust it to you. And again, this is not saying that then we're just going to live a perfect life. Like we're not going to get sucked back in or we're not going to stumble. We're not going to fall. That's not what it's saying. I think this is more saying it's just about a heart condition of letting go, of surrender to him, of actually deciding intentionally to follow him. Um, but again, the, the thing is then we, we can, the, the, the danger of something like this is then we start to think, well, yes, I'm going to follow Jesus. He's worth it and I'm going to work really hard and make sure to follow him and do it. And then it's all in our own strength and it's just not good. Then it's just all about ourselves again. And or we fail um, or we get proud and or we just become religious. And that's not what this is about at all. Or alternatively, we sort of think, I can never do that. Like, I, I can see the cost and I want to, but I, but I can't. And in some ways, both of those positions, the confidence is still in us. It's either, yeah, we're confident we can follow Jesus, or no, we're not confident we can't follow Jesus. But the point Jesus is making is that he is the ultimate. We put our allegiance in him, but we also put all our confidence to be able to follow him in him. So like we, we only follow him by faith in him. It's not us, it's him. We just cast ourselves at his mercy. We rest in his grace. We walk with him. The Apostle Paul put it this way, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He sees Jesus and we, we, particularly when we're baptised, we symbolise this. The old life is gone. We have new life in Jesus. And now we live our life by faith in Him. We put our, give Him our allegiance and we put all our confidence in Him and we live by faith in Him. It's not confidence in ourselves. We walk with Him and trust in Him. And, and to, to be able to do that, to be able to stay in this position requires His grace abundantly. So, so maybe, maybe today is a day just to come back and to think maybe how, how have I maybe just sort of slipped back in to, to trying to fit Jesus into the way that I see the world rather than seeing it through his eyes. Or maybe today is a day just to let go and to realise that actually that there is a cost. Like there's going to be difficulty, but it's worth it. And I want to do that. I want to just sign up again and just come to him again and surrender again and just trust him. And as we do that, we're going to take communion and it's an opportunity to just to reflect on um, his sacrifice and his grace and his love and just to, to journey through just by his spirit, just talk to him this morning and journey through if there's anything that's coming up in your heart around that. But I, I think as Jesus was saying this story, he was on the way to the cross. And again, we read later in Hebrews that Jesus went to the cross, but he, there was joy there that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. That, that Jesus is calling us to count the cost, but he counted the cost. And he thought it was worth it. That it was worth it to go to the cross in obedience to his Father. It was worth it to go to the cross to rescue us. 
It was worth it to go to the cross to heal the creation. It, it, he counted it and he found it was worth it and he went with joy. And when he calls us to follow him and to let go and, and to take up our cross, it's not that he hasn't done it, he's done it. And, and he calls us to follow behind him. It's not like he's just sort of standing back and making demands. He, he's shown the way and he calls us to follow him and trust in him. He's shown us his love. He's shown us that he's worthy of it, that he's good and he's worth it. I love this quote. I'll just finish with, which says, We are called to live as slaves of Christ, a church fragrance of selflessness in a culture of selfishness. And again, our, our culture is not, we, the, the sort of Western culture, the idea of denying yourself and putting authority in someone else, like unquestioning authority in Jesus. Like we say, Jesus is the ultimate authority. We just trust, that, that just doesn't make sense to our culture. But this is what Jesus is calling for. This is a biblical worldview, but it's not what we might think. This is what this author Mark says, says, we are people who give up our autonomy not to unjust rulers or authorities, but to the one true king, the one good king, the king who has taken all our rebellion and sin our injustice upon himself, we lay our authority and autonomy down at the feet of the king with scars. It's not, not an absent, not a passive, not a demanding king, but one who's already gone to the cross and calls us to surrender and follow him. So I'm going to pray and then Ben will come and we'll, we'll, we'll play some music and we'll sing. And I just encourage you, uh, we're going to respond by coming up or, or going to the back for communion today. Um, so I encourage you just to spend some time with the Lord and as you feel ready throughout this whole next sort of worship, last, last song to come forward and take communion or go to the back. Um, and as well, just be aware of others who might need some assistance if you can help them. So let's pray and let's, let's just spend this, this time just as we sort of close the service, just spend it open to God, just open, especially on a heart level, um, if there's anything he wants to bring up and just release to him. And just to, to recognize just how worthy he is and the joy of following him. So let's just invite him to do that. Father, we just thank you so much for your goodness and your grace and Jesus that you would go to the cross for us. And we just say you are worth giving our whole lives for. And we just ask today that you would reveal that to us afresh. Um, just show us how worthy you are of, of us just letting go of everything else for you. And Holy Spirit, I just ask that you would come. Um, thank you that you're here. Would you minister to us this morning? Would you just speak to our hearts? And God, just really bring freedom and life. And if there's things you want us to lay down, God, would you give us grace and, and power to do that? Uh, so we just invite you in this time in your name. Amen.